up, young adults? How are we doing? <laughs> Good. Good. Welcome to Thursday nights at YA. Um, we are so glad that you guys are here. We are in a new series called Swift Me. And I don't know where most of you lie on the grounds of loving or hating Taylor Swift. Some of you in here, hey, it's all right. No need to fight with one another. Some of you in here, you absolutely love Taylor. Like, you, you've been there. <laughs> got the t-shirt. You got the t-shirt. You've been to the concerts. You own all of her albums. Some of you are in that, you know, kind of realm. Some of you in here are like my husband where you're like, oh, if my wife would just stop playing her. That would be awesome. Oh, there's like only a couple of you in here. Hey, it's all right. It's all right. The haters are a little more quiet. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. No matter where you lie in, in the realm of either loving Taylor or hating Taylor, here's the thing that we all have in common. Okay? And that is this, that we all on some level relate to her songs, for better or for worse. For better or for worse, we relate to her songs. But what's more is, what's more is, when you listen to the lyrics and when you listen to the words of this music, when you listen to the words of pop songs, pretty much any pop song today, what you notice is that there is a heavy level of dysfunction. Right? <laughs> so, for example, I mean, just to give you a couple of examples, just from that one song, Taylor says things like this, so it's going to be forever or it's going to go down in flames. Like, how violent does that sound? Right? She says things like this. She says, boys only want love if it's torture. Like, that's masochistic, fellas. Like, if that's true... That's just messed up. She says things like this. She says, I can turn, make all the tables turn. Rose garden filled with thorns keep you guessing like, oh, my goodness, who is she? I get drunk on jealousy. At what we go, whoa, Tay, whoa. You know, like, you're getting a little crazy. And then she says this. She says, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. When I heard that, I was like, gosh, this sounds a lot less like a romantic comedy, a lot more like a horror movie. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, there's so much dysfunction in these words. And so what we thought we would do, because what she's, what she's singing about isn't just the anthem of a couple people in here of your heart. This is the anthem of a generation that she is singing. And what we thought we would talk about for the next month, it's going to be a little more than a month, actually, because it's that important to us. But what we thought we would talk about is how we, as a generation, move from relationships that are completely dysfunctional to ones that are God-glorifying, that are healthy, that are full, that are full of life, that are beautiful. And so that's what we thought we would talk about in this series. And tonight, for better or for worse, I'm going to preach about singleness. Now, now, here's what I would love. I would love for all, and I'm sorry that I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. I would love for all the singles in here to just stand up. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow, that's what we're dealing with. All right. No, no, no. Stay standing. Stay standing. I'm not going to need you to shake it like you just shake it like you mean it. Like, just show them what you got. Just a little bit. Okay, I see you. <clears throat> All right. Now, everybody in here. No, stay standing. Stay standing. Everybody in here who's in a relationship or who's married or who's engaged, can you stand up with them? All right. We are going to read 
We are going to read this scripture, and I'm just going to read this scripture over you. This is God's holy word, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I want you to just kind of feel the weight of these words. It's not anybody's favorite verse, but I do want to read this over us tonight. All right, so I say uh, those things to you. This is 1 Corinthians 7. As my advice, not as a command. This is advice that Paul is giving right here, not a command. I wish you were all single like me. But you each have your own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has, another has that one. I speak now to those who are not married. I also speak to the widows. It is good for you to stay single like me. But if you can't control yourselves, you should be married. It's better to marry than to burn. You may sit down. All right. It is good. He says it is good to be single. Did you hear him? It is good. And I know, I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like, but he says it is good to be single in here. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good in here. And let me just, let me just put some fears to rest tonight. What we are talking about tonight is that the season of singleness, that the time that you are single is a good thing. That is not something to be abhorred. It is not something to hate. It is not to be looked at upon as a disease. But it is a good thing. And it is not, um, and I, I'm not preaching to you in a way to say tonight that you are called, and let me just put some fears to rest, that most of you in here, probably all of you in here, are not called to a life of celibacy or a life of singleness. That's not necessarily the direction that we are going tonight. It's not like God has a roster and he's like, well, I, I need some more celibate people. And so he haphazardly chooses some people from in here to be single for the rest of his li rest of their lives and and if you have that desire in here let me put some fears to rest tonight if you have that desire to be married the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our hearts and scholars translate it a couple different ways. But one way that I have read it in the past is that it is actually the God of the universe who places desires in your heart. And if you have a desire to be married, more likely than not you will be married, okay. And so what I am preaching about tonight is not necessarily that you will be called to singleness forever. That's, that's not, I don't believe, probably most anybody's call in here. But what I'm talking about is that there is a season where you are single and it is good. And it is God-ordained. And it is healthy. And hear me, young adult, it is important. It is so important. And so we cannot waste this season. I do not want any single person in here wasting this season. And so I titled tonight, Blank Space, Don't Sell Your Single. Blank Space, Don't Sell you're single. Okay, so let's invite Jesus to be here with us tonight and bow our heads. God, thank you. Thank you for your holy word, God. I just pray, God, that you would allow me to do justice to your word tonight. And I set myself aside. And God, for every single person in here, I want to speak life over their future marriage, God, in Jesus' name. I want to speak life over um, their future marriage for their children, God, that we would be marriages that are lighthouses within the city of Denver. 
God, that our marriages would be um, beacons of the gospel to the people around us. I pray over every single person in here that their singleness results in the type of marriages that are strong, that are powerful, God, and that are full of your glory. And I just, I speak that over them in faith, God. We are coming to you humble tonight for your word. Be with us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said amen. All right. So um, how many of you have done some really dumb things in order to just meet that guy or meet that girl? Raise a hand. <laughs> yeah, right? Dumb. Like just dummy, right? So, so it is, you, if you have been in school, like you know this. If you go to college, you know this. That first week back at college is always like the, oh, hey. <laughs> like... You're back in college and, and, and you know, it, it might be your sophomore year, it might be your junior year, your senior year, whatever. But, you know, you're waiting to see who the transfers are and you're waiting to see who decided to get hot over the summer. You know, like you're back in school and you're like, okay, like just, you know, like you're just scoping. And so this is my sophomore year at CCU and this is pre-John. I didn't even know he existed. C give it up for CCU. And, um... I didn't even know he existed, and so, baby, this story, uh, baby, I didn't even know you, okay? And so, so, and it is my sophomore year, and I, I live in the dorms at CCU, and I'm on the third floor with some of my friends, hanging out with some of my friends, and, and I know I'm, like, buzzing, wait, you know, kind of seeing who's around and who's going to be here kind of a thing, and I look out the window as I'm making cookies with some of my girlfriends, and we're just talking about our summers, and I look out the window, and I see this fella out playing football, and I'm like, oh, hey. You know, and I don't recognize him, and I'm like, is this a new fella? Like, you know, and I do what any, you know, self-respecting woman would do. And I say to myself, I have got to get closer to get a better look. And, <laughs> and so I live on the second floor of the dorms. This is a true story. I live on the second floor of the dorms, and before I can see them packing up their football and, like, leaving, and before they leave, I'm like, oh, gosh. And I start running down the dorm stairs to get to my dorm so I can look out the, so I can even be more creepy and look out the window at this fella. And so I run down the stairs. I finally get to my, uh, to my door, and I, I'm running so fast, and I have so much momentum that I, I don't turn the door handle, like, hard enough. And I shoulder that sucker. This is a true story, you guys. I break the door. <laughs> like, like in half. The handle comes off and it's like attached to door. And I'm just like, what the? Like, like, I broke our door. And it's CCU, so it didn't get fixed for like a year and a half. And, you know... And we had problems. Um, it was real breezy in our room for a while. And so, so, but when we are single, it's like we will break down doors metaphorically <clears throat> in order to meet that guy, in order to meet that girl. And you know this is true. Like, don't act like this isn't you because this is you. You attend as many co-ed gatherings as you possibly can right now. Like, you, you could care less about bowling, right? You don't know how to, you, like, you don't care. But you hear there's a group of people, and so you're like, oh, hey. Like, and you buy a bowling ball. Like, you come, and you're on point. Fellas, you hate the Hunger Games, but you hear that there are a group of co-eds going to the Hunger and you're like, hey, Katniss, on point. Like, you know, like, you're going to go. 
right? Um, you know, I was asking some people this week, I was like, what's the dumbest thing? One of my friends said, you know, I plan, like I would plan gatherings. I would make my friends change their schedules just so we could have like a barbecue that's like super laid back and super, you know, whatever. And make everybody change their schedules so that this one night that where, you know, the guy ends up being there. Like I arrange everyone's schedule just so we can like both be in the room and be like, oh, this is a super laid back event at which we are both attending. You know? <laughs> I asked Dougie, I said, Dougie, what's the dumbest thing you ever did? And he said, oh, for sure I was the guy who played the guitar, right? <laughs> and some of you guys, I'll watch you at life groups, and you'll be like, life groups wrapping up, and you're like, oh, hey, like John Mayer, you know, <laughs> playing this song. Like, don't act like you won't knock down walls. Like, you want to make sure your hair is on point. You want to make sure you look good. Like, the whole thing, like, we will move mountains to go from being single to go to being unsingle. And this is us in here. Taylor puts it this way. She says, I've got a blank space, baby. <laughs> and I'll write your name. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about our single years is that some of us in here are doing everything that we can in order to be unsingle. And what God wants us to understand tonight is that those years of being single are ordained, that they are important, and that they have purpose. And that the way that we manage this next year, this next couple of years, this next decade, or next couple of decades of our lives, I'm praying that that's not you, the couple decades. But the way that we manage it is so important. And Paul says, don't just sell this time. It's what he's writing about in Corinthians. It's good. This time is important. There are things that God can do in single people right now that he can only do when you're single. He says, don't waste this space. Don't give it up. Don't sell it to the highest bidder. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read a story about a man <clears throat> who had tons of promise in his life and tons of call. And who made some decisions when it came to relationships. And so if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Judges 16 and we'll get there in a second. Some of you have probably heard this story before. If you haven't, if you didn't grow up in church, let me just give you a little bit of a refresher. There is a man named Samson who was born in Israel. And he's born to a mother and a father during a time when Israel was captured by a group of people called the Philistines. Scripture says that the Israelites had fallen into the hands of the Philistines. And this was not good, okay? They were basically treated as slaves or slave labor. And so this mom and this dad are visited by an angel. And the angel says that you are going to have a son and that he will be a warrior for the nation of Israel. And he will free the people of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But then the angel said this. He said, you must consecrate this boy and he must take a Nazarite vow. And so this mom and this dad have this little boy named Samson. And they consecrate him, which means to be set apart. They set this little boy apart. And they know in that moment that he has a special call on his life. With the Nazarite vow, he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. He wasn't allowed to touch things like graves because they were, you know, considered something that would defile you. He wasn't allowed to be defiled. He wouldn't drink any alcohol or wine. He was set apart for the purpose of serving God. Do you hear that? He was set apart, young adult, for the purpose of serving God. God. And so with his early life, with his young adult years, he was given this blessing of strength. His particular gift, his particular calling was this gift of strength. 
And so he was the type of man, scripture tells us, where he was so strong that he would lead the Israelites into battle and he could not be defeated. Him in and of himself, just being with them, made them undefeatable, undefeatable because of who he was. The scripture tells us that he fought with a lion and that with his bare hands he killed them. Scripture tells us that at one point he took a jawbone and it says he killed not hundreds, but thousands of people. And if you believe that the word of God is ordained, then you need to take it at its word. And so here's a man who is essentially unlike any other man that we have seen in human history. He knows what he's called to do. He knows what he's ordained to do. He knows what he's been set apart to do. And then he meets a girl. Judges 16, verse 4, and it says this. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman from the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you uh, the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we might tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Samson, hear me. Samson is going along in his call in what God has set him apart to do in what he is built to do by God. And suddenly he meets a female. And this female, it says that he falls in love with her. He falls in love with her. And what she ends up being is the type of woman that will actually betray him. How many of you in here know that it is fully possible that you are not um, immune from falling in love with someone who will absolutely sabotage your call? He meets this girl. He meets this girl and he falls in love with her. And it is fully possible for anyone in this room to actually fall in love with someone who is a complete dud. And you can say, oh, but Jess, like, I love him. Jess, I love him. <laughs> like, my heart, like, I know in my heart, like, he is, like, he is just, I have never met a man, I have never felt this way. My heart wouldn't lead me wrong. I know because I love him in my heart, he must be a ten. But in Jeremiah, it actually says that our heart is capable of deceiving us. And Samson falls in love with a complete dud. It goes on and it says this. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. So what she is doing in this moment, like if you listen to the tone, like she is being flirtatious to get what she wants. Her manipulation doesn't end and it keeps going uh, down, skip down to verse uh, 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Ladies in here, let's take some notes. Let's take a break for a second. I love you girls. If you catch yourself, girls, if you catch yourself being a nag, if you catch yourself being manipulative, you are taking notes from Delilah's book and you do not want to be taking notes from her book. And here's the deal. If anyone says to you, if you really love me, you'll blah, 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 blah. Manipulation, ladies. Manipulation, fellas. If you really love me, 
you'll sleep with me. Really? Manipulation. If you really love me, you'll buy me this thing. Manipulation. That is what she is doing in this moment. She nags him until he is sick to death of it. And so he told her, verse 17, everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God since my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines and said, come back once more. He told me everything. And so the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands and they put, um, she put them, put him to sleep in her lap. She called someone to shave the seven braids of his hair. This is just tragic. And so they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Delilah won't give up. She won't give up. She keeps nagging Samson until she gets what she wants. And then it says that people came in, and they shaved his braids. <clears throat> and then he was actually, his weakness left him. His weakness left him. And I read about Samson and his story ends so amazingly tragically because after he's taken, it actually says this is terrible, but that they gouge his eyes out and that they make him a slave to the Philistines. That's, that's the end of his life. He has a few more feats of strength that God, by the grace of God, gives back to him. But the majority of his life after that is no longer legendary. It's no longer much of a life at all. Samson sold his single way too early. And to the wrong person. And in doing so, he essentially sold his call and his life. Your single years, young adult, are ordained. They are beautiful times that the Lord wants to use in your life. They are times where God is going to show you things that he won't be able to show you at any other time. They are times where he is going to um, speak to you in a way that he will never speak to you again in your life. But it is possible for you to sell your single way too early. It is possible for you to sell it way too early and to the wrong person. How many of you in here know that if you sell your season too early, that you will not only just give away kisses, that you could possibly be giving away your call and your life. And so tonight, there are three things that I want every single single in here to know. And I want you to guard and I want you to think to yourself, I don't want to sell this right away. I want to appropriate this the way that God wants me to until it's time. And you'll know when it's time. You don't have to worry. Just don't even worry about it. Three things that I want you to guard and that God wants you to guard with everything that you have because he can only do it in this thing, season. And the first thing is this. Don't sell your you. Don't sell your you. Around staff, we talk and we joke and stuff, and um, we're so close as a family. I'm so, like, blessed to work with some of my best friends. But we always say, when we joke, we say, you do you, boo. You do you, boo. Like, we always say it. And what we're saying in that moment, honestly, like, if I'm, like, nervous about a message or something, and Doug will be like, you do you, boo. Like, what he's saying in that moment is he's saying, Jess, you are the only person that is made the way that you are made. You are the only person that is capable the way that God has made you capable no one does it the way that you do. And so you have to do you in God's kingdom. You do you, boo. You do you. And the problem is, is that there's a whole bunch of young adults in here who don't know who they are. 
There's a whole bunch of us in here, and it's okay, but it's also not okay, who don't know what we're valuable, that we're valuable, and we don't know what we're worth. And so the question that would be good for you to be asking tonight is, do I know who I am in Jesus? Do I know who I am in Jesus? Do I know that tonight? I was reading Brooklyn a, a book the other day, and it was about, um, it was called The Very Hungry Caterpillar, and it's about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Some of you know it. And I realized, I realized I know nothing about butterflies. I, I knew nothing. And if she started to get to a point where she wanted to know more, like, I was like, I know nothing. And I started to um, just research online. And the whole process of a butterfly changing is this process called mesomorphosis. And I thought that essentially a caterpillar just cocoons itself and then it becomes a butterfly. I thought that was it. But it's not. It's actually this very long, drawn-out process. And there's five different stages, and they're called, um, I'm sorry, they're called instars. And the first stage of instars, the caterpillar will eat, and then it sheds its old self. It sheds its old body, and it's a little bit bigger, and it's a little bit stronger. And then it will eat some more, and then a few weeks later, it sheds again, second instar. And then it eats, and then it sheds again, third instar, fourth instar. By the fifth instar, it has done this now five times It builds a cocoon around itself, and then it just stays there. And then finally, at some point, it gets to a point where it is able to kind of pick its way and eat its way out of its cocoon. And it is a completely different creature when it comes out. It is the creature that it was always born to be. It was the creature that God had destined it to be from the beginning. It's a painstaking process becoming the person, becoming the being that we are supposed to be. Second Corinthians says that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. The number one reason why God has you in your single years is so that he can form the you in you. And it is a painstaking and not always the easiest and not always the simplest process. He wants to form you. And there's a whole bunch of young adults that I have seen and that I have witnessed who cut their cocoon too early. They cut it too early and they think they're ready for what they are built to do. They think they are actually ready for relationship or ready for marriage. And they cut it too early. While Samson was extremely gifted, while he was extremely talented, I get this feeling in scripture that he has no idea who he is. That he is sloppy with his gifts, that he's lazy with his talents, like that he has zero integrity. He's not aware of his weaknesses at all. And I look at this man and I'm like, he has no idea who he is in the Lord. He knows how he's gifted. No idea who he is in God. Do you know who you are in Jesus? And here's the deal. People who don't know who they are in Christ, they walk around with a void somewhere in here. And then they look to things and to people in order to fill that void. And they'll walk around with their blank space or with their empty bucket. And they'll just be like, oh, could could you fill my bucket? Are Are you capable of filling my, could you tell me that I'm valuable? Could you tell me that I'm worthy? And I, I see it all the time. There'll be people who say things like this. It'll be guys or it'll be girls. And you know them because they can't be single for like more than five minutes. And it's not necessarily 
because they think they're going to marry that girl on their arm or they think they're going to marry that guy on their arm. It's because they can't stand the void. And so they just fill it with the nearest person around, with whoever seems to be good enough or pretty enough. You'll see it when people flirt, when guys flirt or when girls flirt, and all they want really from you, they don't really want a relationship with you. They just want you to fill their bucket. They just want you to give them enough affirmation where they feel good about themselves. Please tell me that I have value. Please tell me that I'm worth something. Please, please fill this void for me. But God says in scripture, legitimately, that he is the only one that is capable of filling that void for you. He says things like this, Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm the one that fills holes. I'm the only one that is capable of filling that void for you. The longer you go around with your bucket looking to people or to money or to success or to activities to fill that void, the more problems you are going to have. You need to let me fill you and make you into you. And then he says this in John 15. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, look, I'm the only one that gives you life. I'm the only one that's going to be capable of telling you who you are. You have got to remain in me. You have got to let me fill the void. And I'll watch it all the time, but these people with their buckets, it happens so often. I wish I didn't see it, but I'll see these people with their buckets, and they're like, oh, will you fill my bucket? And then they find someone who is decently enough filling their bucket, and then they get married. And have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, oh, I should have seen this coming. Like, I should have known. Like, we were at Walmart the other day. John and I were at Walmart, and we don't normally shop at Walmart, um, you know, mostly because, I don't know, I just get nervous, I think. And so... Um, it's a great place, really good cheap produce, but you know, I get nervous. And so, so he says, I need Motorola. I'm going to go in. You can stay in the car. And I'm like, sweet. And so I stay in the car and this, um, this camper pulls up on a truck with like a spray painted camouflage thing. Right. And, and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I like camouflage and you know, the, the truck's all painted and the camper's all painted. And then this guy gets out and you know, and he's in camouflage pants and I'm like, Hey, you match. And so and so he gets out and but then you guys I'm sitting there like I'm in my car and I'm sitting there and in broad daylight like in the middle of the parking lot he starts to change his pants and I'm like what like dude like there's a bathroom inside like get in your camper do something like I don't know what you do and he starts to and he's just like down in his bockers and he puts on some new pants and I'm like what is happening and then I had this moment where I was like no like I guess I should have seen this coming like I'm in Walmart, like I should have, like I guess I, I guess I should have known, I guess, you know? And I'll see this happen sometimes with couples. And here's the deal, if you do not fill that void, you will find someone that fills the void just enough for you. And then you will get married. And it'll work for about a year, maybe two years. But then eventually you will get to a point where he's leaving and girls, he doesn't tell you enough that he loves you. And fellas, he, she doesn't clean the way that makes you feel loved or cook the way that makes you feel loved. 
She will be insecure. She'll be in, uh, she won't be caring about your job the way that you want her to be caring about your job. He won't tell you all the time that he thinks that you're perfect and that you're beautiful and that whatever. And then all of a sudden you'll start to have these doubts like maybe, I, maybe I got it wrong. Like maybe I, I chose poorly. Like he's not filling, you know what we're saying this moment? Like he's not filling my bucket. He's not filling my void the way that I thought we promised each other that we would fill our voids. I've seen it at church and these people get married and a couple years go by and then they get a divorce and I watch it happen. I watch it crumble. It's the most devastating thing that I've ever seen. And I think to myself like I should have seen it coming because here were two people who were incomplete and who were supposed to be filled up and told who they were by Jesus, but instead they looked to the other and they said, oh, are you my vine? Oh, are you my vine? Are you my life giver? Are you my void filler? It is important in your 20s and in your young adult years, in your single season, it is not just important, let me say this, your entire marriage will hinge on this young adult, write it down. You have got to figure out who you are in Jesus now. You need to know. You need to download who I am in Christ tonight and post it on your mirror and read it to yourself every single day. That you are seated at the right hand of Jesus in Christ. That you are a saint, not a sinner. That you are the righteousness of God in Jesus that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that you are filled up to overflowing, like Romans 15 says. You need to know it, and you need to know it not just up here. You need to know it in your spirit with everything that you are so that when you come to the table with that guy or with that girl, you can say, I'm full. I would love for you to love me, but even if you do not, I'm full. I'm full. Don't sell your you, young adult. Don't sell it. Don't sell it develop it. Don't sell your strength. Don't sell your strength. Judges 16, 17. So he said to her, or so he told her everything, no razor has ever touched my head because I've been a Nazarite and dedicated to God since my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as any other man and his strength left him. If your single, single years are about finding out who you are in Jesus, then your single years are absolutely about finding out how strong you are in Jesus. Your single years are about finding out how strong you are in Jesus. In Ephesians 3, it, said that the, it says that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in your inner man. The person that you are in Jesus, that it would strengthen that. And in your 20s, in your early 30s, in your, when you get into your mid-30s, not as much as a young adult, but hey, you're still welcome here. I love you. You're so welcome to come. But here's the thing. In your single years, if you were to spend it finding who you are and finding what you're made of, how strong you are, how capable you are, and not relying on another person to bring that to you. And here's what I mean. Maybe in your single years, that's when you start to pursue some of those dreams that you have in your heart. Maybe in your single years, that's when you, you know, you say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to travel. I've always wanted to take dancing lessons. I've always wanted to skydive. And you are brave enough and you find out that you're strong enough to actually follow through on some of those things. 
that you, that you actually find ways in which to strengthen yourself during this time and see how strong you are in the Lord. Not just who you are, but that you've got some strength within you. 2 Corinthians talks about um, the way that we are to be yoked. And it says in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. We, some of us in here, we know that verse. And what, you know, most of us read it and we say, okay, so we just don't marry, you know, make sure that we don't marry a non-Christian. Make sure that we don't date, date a non-Christian. But how many of you know what a yoke is? A yoke is essentially this contraption. That's kind of like this. It's like two U's. And it goes over the back of two oxen. And in general, it is important for both of those oxen to be of equal strength. And so when those oxen are not of equal strength, one of the oxen will overpower the other one. And they will kind of veer off. Like they won't stay the course. They will veer off course. You don't just want a Christian. You don't just want someone who you're like, oh, yeah, they come to church and it's great. I think they used to be Catholic, like I'm pretty sure, and so it's good. <laughs> like you don't just want that. Like you want someone who you know I'm strong in Jesus, and I want someone of equal strength. And I see young adults sometimes, and they are so strong, and they are so capable. Like I see them ministering to their coworkers, and they bring people to church, and they serve here at church, and they're awesome with um, people, and they're, they're just investing their life, and they're fully, you know, they're just operating out of their strengths. And then sometimes I watch those people meet and marry or meet and date someone who is weaker than they are. And you kind of see it, you know, at first they're like helping out and they're always serving. They're always involved. And then pretty soon they're kind of like sitting at the back. And then pretty soon they're like not even at church anymore. And then pretty soon like they're not serving anymore. And then you're like, dude, like what is going on? What I love to see is when two people, I love this, and I get stoked. When I see two people who are on fire for Jesus, who are strong in the Lord, and then who yoke themselves with someone who is just as strong as they are. And let me tell you, I, I love it. I have never seen, and we will never see, such strength in our walks with God as when we are equally yoked. When we are equally yoked. Don't sell your strength. And lastly, don't sell your call. Don't sell your call. If the single years are about developing who you are in Christ, if they are about ensuring that you strengthen yourself in the Lord, then they are for sure about the beginnings of you pursuing what God has built you particularly to do in the way that only you can. That you begin ministering in your work environment. That you begin telling people about Jesus. That you begin pursuing the things that he has placed on your heart. In your single years is when you begin to run your race. All throughout scripture, anytime it talks about our faith walk and anytime it talks about our call, anytime it talks about our obedience to Jesus, it talks about it as a faith walk and as a race. And what's so interesting is that God wants you right now, not later, but he would like for you young adult right now to begin your race in this moment and in the now. Hebrews 12 says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He says, I want you to start running your race of faith right now. 
I want you to start running your race of faith right now. And Samson was doing this. Understand that he had began his race and he had started running. His problem was, though, that he didn't fix his eyes on Jesus. But he began looking around and kind of being like, oh, like what else, what else is there to, for me to take hold of in this life? And what God would like for every single young adult, and I believe this with all my heart, what he would love for you to do right now is he would love for you to begin your race and for you to start running and to not worry about anything else and to fix your eyes on him and pursue him, minister for him, become more like him, run hard, run fast, run the race of your life. He wants you to do that. And at some point, you're going to kind of take a look around and you're going to see a runner just like you. When I was um, in high school and we ran track at the beginning of our meets or at the beginning of the season, they would always have you do like time trials and wind sprints and stairs and stuff and they would time you. And what they were doing, they did it with every single person. What they would do is they would um, pair you eventually with someone who was just as strong as you were. And so when you would run and when you would race and when you would practice and do your time trials and things like that, they were the person that was sharpening you. They were the person that was making sure that you were the running the best that you could possibly run. And so I got paired up with somebody and then they formed me into the runner that I was supposed to be because I ran as hard as I could. And what God would love for you, young adult, is he would love for you to begin your race to fix your eyes on him and to just start going for it. Love him, pursue him with everything that you've got. Serve people. My goodness. Start now. Don't start later and begin running. And at some point, you're going to kind of do one of these and you're going to see someone who is just as strong as you, who is just as passionate as you, who is just as fearlessly and, and, and just ferociously pursuing the cross as you. And then just keep running. Like, don't. Give it six months and then look over. And if they are just as strong as you and pursuing him with the ferociousness that you do, then maybe at that point, that is where God is saying, hey, this is your runner. That's your, that's your lifelong partner. Don't get this wrong. Don't get this wrong. Marriage isn't, marriage isn't about you. <laughs> Don't get this wrong. Marriage is about him. Don't mess it up. Don't sell it too quickly. Galatians 5 says this. It says, you were running so well. This is the story of Samson. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Notice that he doesn't say what hindered you. He didn't say, oh, did drugs hinder you from running your race? Did, you know, did um, sin hinder you? Did lack of knowledge hinder you? No, he said, who? Who stopped you? And we would be wise tonight to not sell ourselves too quickly, to not sell our strength too quickly, and to not sell our call too quickly. Would everybody stand? And I'm just going to pray some admonition over you guys. If you run your race and if you pursue your call, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you are going to look up one day and you are going to see someone who loves God just like you do. Don't sell your call. There is no person in this room or in any other room that's worth it. God is saying, you do you, boo. And if you do that, eventually rely on me. Trust me, I'm a good father and I will bring you a runner that is just as strong as you two of you 
or pursue me and pursue your call in a way that only a couple of Christ can. And that's what we want at Young Adults for every single person in here. And so with every head bow, I just have one question tonight. Um, I know that everybody in here wants strong marriages, but there are some people in here and you just feel a void. You do. You've felt a blank space of problem and issue, a void for a very long time. And Jesus, our King, our Father, He's the only one that can fill it for you. And tonight, if that's you in here and you say, I have a void, Jess, and I need Jesus. I need him to fill it. I've been looking to fellas. I've been looking to ladies. Like, I've been looking to sex and money. Like, I've been looking to success and achievements to fill my hole. And I just, I can't do it anymore. I need Jesus. If that's you in here tonight, would you just raise your hand high and proud? Amen. 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 For those of you who have received Jesus for the first time tonight, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you. God, we thank you so much. For tonight. We thank you that you're our Savior. We thank you that you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I thank you that, um, God, that we get to pursue you with everything that we are. And I pray that tonight that you would fill holes in people's lives. God, that you would fill the void. And if it's for the first time tonight, God, we thank you for salvation. And I pray over every soul in here tonight that they would just pursue you with everything that they have, God. And that in due time, you will bring the perfect runner. I'm believing you for it, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>